You're listening to episode 119 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I think this week we should we should really take a page out of other podcasts that you know are, are coming out at this time and really just take a minute and say, "Fuck, it's cold outside." Yeah, I like. I know we have some listeners that live in like the greater Chicago area, and it's it's like real life the day after tomorrow out there right now. So I hope you're staying warm and toasty while you listen to this episode. I mean, there are people who have legit died due yeah. to the cold. So Dude, I saw this report where like so it's like it's like with wind, it's like negative fifty to sixty there right now, and you can be outside for like ten minutes before you'll start getting frostbite. It's like that's yeah. not even enough to dig out your car. <laughs> yeah, a couple of, a couple of years ago now, when I lived in uh, Fargo, it got this cold about seventy below. I was just like, don't go outside. How do you not die? Like, every, how do you not die even being in your house, snuggled up? Like, I, I, I'd wake up. I wouldn't wake up. I'd just be a popsicle. <laughs> but yeah, right. It's I. I don't know about you guys. Like, I, you know, the house that I grew up in, like. You've been there. Fairly nice house. Insulation, not that great. Uh, I'm pretty sure the couple of times I've stayed there, I've been rained on inside the house. So. Oh, well, shit. I didn't not, even know about not, that. Not a great house. <laughs> so, even though it is freezing cold in many parts of the U.S., uh, what I like to do when it's cold is uh, snuggle up with some comics and use those to keep me warm. The reading of comics... Sorry, go ahead. That's firewood? Is that Uh, really No, that... No, I I leave that to uh, people who don't like what's being written in Captain America comic books. Uh, Me, I like to, uh, well, freeze, but also read the comics and then they warm my heart because of how much I love them. This is, in fact, a comic book podcast... Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Comics Pals. We've got a lot to talk about this week, including big, big news on the Batman movie, that is, and whether or not Ben Affleck's going to be in it. Um, and we're going to be... be the end of Batfleck Watch? No, 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 Batfleck Watch! I really cannot wait to talk about that. And we're going to be reviewing... And reading and reviewing Fearscape number four and Heroes in Crisis number five. So hopefully you guys are following along with those books. Uh, our Fearscape review is coming out a little bit before the actual issue is available, so we'll avoid spoilers on that. But Heroes in Crisis, we're diving all the way in. We are missing Phil and Marco this week. Uh, both of them hit their heads and are now hospitalized with concussions. It's really <laughs> crazy. You know, I mean, I mean... I wouldn't say I missed them. I swung the bat perfectly and <laughs> you got your heart really went on. <laughs> I uh, I'm the only one who's managed to avoid this plague of concussions that has swept the comics pals. I wonder how long it'll last. Were you get concussed? Yeah. All right, I'll work on my aim. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have like, to swing I- better. I just imagine that Sean has one of those, like, classic World War II, like, army helmets, just, like, at the ready, you know? He's just constantly waiting for that hammer to come down. Well, you know, when you grow up in a, in a, in a household where 
you know, your parents are minorities just like you. You get used to dodging objects. So, um, <laughs> you could dodge a vase, you could dodge a ball. Yep. See, for me, I'm Italian, so the most I ever had to be afraid of was a wooden spoon. And my dad's a softie, so he wasn't pulling that shit out. My grandmother threatened me with it. She she had no all talk, no action. See, I, I'm an idiot. I just, just took it. <laughs> I got hit all the time. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think you need sanctuary. You're not wrong. Um, not wrong. So let's let's dive into our pals pulls for the week. Uh, we'll let Kale go first since he's uh, well in his feelings right now. Um, <laughs> the most emotionally damaged. Yes, exactly. Why don't you talk about Young Justice number two? <clears throat> um, so I was super into Young Justice number one. Uh, this is uh, the Bendis and Gleason run, uh, currently, I guess. Um, I'm excited to see how they uh, integ- reintegrate Gem World um, into the DC Universe for the, I don't know, 17th time or whatever. Is this the book that has the Wonder Twins in it, too? Not, uh, not yet. Okay, but they're going to um, be in it. I, I, I'm not 100% sure whether or not they're going to be in it, but this is that imprint, yeah. They're getting their own book. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember if they were getting their own book or if they were going to be on a team or whatever, but I remember that they were going to be coming back as well. Yeah, so we'll get to see what's up with Superboy, I think, in this in this book as well this week. So, Which Superboy is this? Well, this is the... or Well, this is what looks to be the 90s Superboy. Awesome. Very nice. I'm, I've been dying to jump onto this. I, re- I picked up... I opened the first issue. I, I own it, but I picked it up to read it, and I opened it, and then something came up, so I had to drop it, and I never picked it up again. But um, I'm really anticipating checking out what this book has to offer. You also chose Real Love. What is this? Yeah, so this um, this is a, a book put out by a company called uh, Unbound. They're kind of a, a Kickstarter company, I guess, um, where they help uh, you know indie creators kickstart and kind of promote their books. Um um, so this this is by um, Owen Michael uh, Johnson. Yeah, um, friend of mine. He um, uh, put this book out about um, his local cinema and how he um, sort of fell in love with seeing movies and kind of became this. Uh, it became like a lifelong dream to to make a movie. So he uh, tried to make a stop motion animation uh, film. Um, it's basically like a, a love letter to like sort of the old school cinemas, um, you know, like small town cinemas. Yeah. Um, not a lot of places have them anymore. I don't. I wouldn't assume. Um, yeah, <clears throat> the multiplex has kind of yeah made that a lost art. The uh, there's one in a little town near Liverpool. I can't think of what his name is, but they still have an intermission. Uh, Jess and I went there and we saw um, that recent movie with Channing Tatum and Daniel Craig where they're trying to rob the race car track. Mm-mm. That I have I'm no idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very good, despite me not remembering the name. <laughs> but yeah, they I mean, they just stopped the movie halfway through and you can buy like ice cream and go to the bathroom and it's dope. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like we should bring back the intermissions across the board. Like, who, especially when, you know, like, the smallest soda you can get is, what, like, 40 ounces or whatever? It's like... Yeah, dog. Yeah, it's like, dude, I gotta go to the bathroom halfway through. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> Free refills, but at what cost? <laughs> Um, so anyway, Real Love is uh, uh, an ode to um, independent, small cinemas, um, and uh, yeah, it's a really good read. Very cool. Uh, sounds different, and uh, different is good. I like love letters. Like any piece of art that's just like, here's how much I love a thing, that, that gets me right where I live. So speaking of getting you right where you live, Pete, you chose Daredevil number yes. one. get it. Uh, Getting right where Phil lives. <laughs> me too, me too. Uh, I was a Daredevil fan before Phil. Um, Fair. Yeah, so this is, uh, we talked about this a few months ago now. This is the new Daredevil series from Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. Uh This, you know, I'm, a, I'm a definitely a big fan of Zdarsky's work. Um, I'm interested to see what his Daredevil is going to be like, because obviously he's known for his sense of humor, I would say, more than anything. And not that he hasn't written some good dramatic scenes, um, but, you know, I think that when you think of Zdarsky, like, as a creator, at least for me, I, I think of, of humor, first and foremost. So seeing how he's going to approach a character like Daredevil that, you know, is just, that's really not his bag, you know? It's definitely a more, like, kind of serious and somber and you know like that's generally the portrayal you see of of matt murdoch so i'm I'm interested to see what his take on the character is going to be cool yeah um it's tradition to leave daredevil in the worst possible place as you pass the character on to a new writer and i haven't been reading the current run but i know that uh charles soul is in the process or was in the process of tearing Matt to shreds. So it's going to be interesting to see where Chip picks him up and what his take is. I mean, Mark Wade's run was pretty light compared to what you typically get. And so I'm wondering if Chip will, will sort of take that angle or go down a darker road or give us something we've never seen before with the character. And I think if anybody can do it, it's probably him just because of how unique he is. Uh, style wise so got some range yeah and i feel i feel like the thing that's interesting to me is i think any of those three things that you said feel equally possible and i'm good for any of them really you know like if sure, he wants to absolutely. stretch his dramatic legs i don't feel like there's a better character to do it with than daredevil mm. um mm. while he's at marvel and you know if he wants to try to give us something fresh for daredevil like as somebody who's a big fan of the character like i'm open for that too so i hope this one's good yeah, absolutely. Um, I chose Batman sixty four, and the, the reason Superman that I chose this no, is because damn, I messed up that joke. Fuck. <laughs> damn it! Close, close. A Super Nintendo thing. <laughs> nice something, try. Something green for uh, rings. I chose it because this is actually a Heroes in Crisis tie-in. Oh, and really? normally, yeah. Normally that would repel people, but I love tie-ins, and this is the first, I believe, the first book to be branded as a Heroes in Crisis tie-in, and of course it is by Tom King, so I'm really interested to see how this issue fleshes out the story that's being told in Heroes in Crisis, because I think 
of all the characters in that book, in my opinion, Batman is the one who's kind of been the least served. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested to see, you know, what Tom does on that side of the fence. I also feel um, like they keep separating yeah. Batman. For, they, Tom. Tom keeps separating Batman from the Trinity for, like, moments of the book. So it's like there's a lot of space where, like, we're not totally sure what he's been up to. Yeah, yeah. We've you know we've talked about how his, the writing of the character was uneven, yeah. uh, especially uh, in the last issue. I think it was, or maybe it was issue three. I don't remember. Either one of the two. But um, yeah. Both. So probably both. Yeah. Probably that's, everyone. Yeah. That's yeah. True. So yeah, um, very very interested in in seeing what Tom does with this. Now, if you want to let us know what books you are reading uh, this week. You can write to us and let us know. Uh, you can also catch us over, over on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc., all podcast hosting platforms. Uh, you can catch us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. You don't just have to write in with what books you're reading. You can write in with your thoughts on anything we talk about on this or any other episode of the show. If you have a question or you want to talk to us about a book club suggestion that you might have, all of those things, you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you guys to do. Of course, they cost, it costs you nothing to do those things, so totally free to help us out. Um, and we've got some pretty awesome content out there, new stuff for you guys to check out. We've been putting out lots of good stuff lately, uh, coming out swinging in 2019. Um, Phil and I put put out a couple of Wrestling Pals specials. Um, we put out a Royal Rumble prediction show and then a review of the Royal Rumble and NXT both of those things are out now. Uh, we've also done a few book clubs this year already. Uh, what's out? We've got the Hellboy that's out. And, um, shoot, what else do we put out so far? Captain Marvel coming out? <laughs> oh, yeah, for, that's it for this year, but Captain Marvel will be out uh, in the next couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's your chance to read along. Well, you know, because we only do one a month, and we, it's only February, so you got them all. Yeah, 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 just yeah, but because of the way we record them, yeah, yeah. it feels like we've Mar- Marco yeah, schedules right. them eight in a month to record, but we we only do one at a time. Yeah, so uh, lots of good stuff out there for you guys. So please check that out and hit us with your feedback, positive, negative. We don't care. Uh, we shit on each other all the time. So if you want to shit on us, that's cool. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to let us know, that's cool too. So. Moving right along, we've got some massive, massive news to talk about. We're opening the the news segment with a bang. Yes, absolutely. We are talking about the Batman movie. Now, when we did our... When we did our... um, Our... What's the word I'm looking for? Predictions for 2019. One of the questions that we asked, just like we asked the year before, was whether or not we thought that Ben Affleck would hang it up and stop portraying Batman. And so, keep that in your mind as we talk about this next topic. We now know that Ben Affleck will not play Batman in the Batman film that is now officially releasing summer 2021. 
huge, huge news. Because the Batman is a movie that we've been talking about since 2017. That's when Matt Reeves jumped on board. Well, th- th- we, we, we learned about the movie, or about his involvement in 2017. The movie's been talked about for a little longer than that. Um, so, they broke that news. Ben Affleck went on Twitter and said, Excited for hashtag the Batman in summer 2021. And to see Matt Reeves' vision come to life. So... It's been a it's been a long road with Ben Affleck and this movie, The Batman. Will he? Won't he? Uh, at first, he was going to direct it, produce it, and star and write it. In fact, he was going to do everything. Uh, then it was he's not going to star. He might not star. Then it was he's definitely not directing. Then Matt Reeves came on throughout the script. Then it was Ben Affleck feels like he's being pushed aside, doesn't want to play the role. But he's going on the stage at Comic-Con and saying Batman's his favorite character. He wants to play Batman forever. Uh, You know, and all of this, you know, then Justice League comes out. Justice League doesn't do so hot. Ben Affleck's depressed. Everybody remembers the classic image of him doing the interview with Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck looking very sad. Um, (laughs) I thought you were talking about the one where he has the the cigarette and he's rolling his eyes or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> that one too. Uh, then Ben Affleck went into rehab, and then it was said that because of him being in rehab, it would be too expensive to insure him to star in the Batman movie for the foreseeable future. And at that point, it seemed like the writing was on the on the wall, right? I think that's fair to say. I feel like it's felt that way for fucking ever. <laughs> like you know, like since the since the initial vision of this film fell apart. And he like sowed any seeds of doubt. It's felt like it wasn't going to happen to me anyway. Right. Well, and, yeah, yeah, and uh, like, not to not to say that I I saw this before anybody else, but like the announcement of Zack Snyder's vision of Batman being a little bit older, while everyone else was younger or seemed to be younger, like seemed to me to say, you know. At some point, we're going to need to reboot this character again. Right. Like, it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. I yeah, agree yeah, with yeah. that wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ben Affleck is already in, he's in his late 40s, isn't he? I'm not sure. Um, huh. Probably somewhere in that range, I would imagine. Maybe earlier Kelsey 40s. on the internet, we'll find out. Yeah, but either way, he's, he's a middle-aged dude, and, like, there's only so many years that he's going to want to be, like having to work out six hours a day to be Batman. Now, with that being said, I just want to put something out there, and this pertains to our predictions. I personally do not believe that just because he is not Batman in this movie, that that means he is never playing the role again. Now, here's the reason why I'm saying that. They were always talking about wanting a younger Batman. As soon as Matt Reeves joined the project, he wanted a younger Batman. This movie was always supposed to take place not in our time, right? And that co aligns well with what they're doing with Wonder Woman. Mm. Um, so it's true. I've I, I we've we've kind of known that this was going to happen. Uh, one of the questions was, will he write it? And then we learned that won't happen. Will he produce it? We learned that won't happen. But once Matt Reeves joined the project, it seemed pretty clear Ben Affleck was not playing the character. I don't take this to mean that he's never playing it again. 
And so because of that, I don't feel like our our the, we've received the answer to our prediction. The question was, uh, I don't, yeah, yeah. The question was, will he resign as Batman in 2019? That has not happened. And and what he's what he said is he's not going to be Batman in the Batman. Exactly. Oh. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. And it's like the next and to Sean's point, right? If there is a series of like if they're doing this series of like young Batman films that are similar to the Wonder Woman movies where they're prequels to like the events of the like modern DCEU, um, DCFU, whatever the fuck it's, whatever we're calling it these days. Um, yeah, like it, it makes sense for, for him to come back the next time that they actually move the timeline forward. And I, I'm wondering if maybe that this is kind of a stopgap too, because by the time that he would play Batman again, the like uh, insurance issues or whatever will probably no longer be a factor at play. I guess. I guess my thought there is, it depends on who they get to play him and how they do. Yeah, how good he is, and how yeah. much people like Cause him. Because if yeah. he's if he's that good, they'll find a way to push Ben Affleck out. We also don't know the contract situation, which. Sure. I, I'm very intrigued by because if he's roped in for a certain amount of movies, obviously, you know, if, if I guess if they don't want to use him, they can, you know, pay him off or whatever, however that works. But if he's on the hook for another movie or so, you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless his agent or lawyers are able to get him out of his contract, which is a thing that happens, but then he would probably have to pay some damages. Yeah, it's all very slippery, but uh, to me, this is a story... That is not over. I believe that we will continue back Batfleck watch for the foreseeable future. And like I'm, I'm holding strong on my prediction. I don't believe he will officially leave the role of Batman forever in 2019. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Because I think all, like in my mind, when I made that prediction, it was based on the fact that like I didn't think that we were going to get movement on the Batman movie very much in 2019 so the fact that we got the announcement that oh it's not it's not coming out until 2021 it's like okay is it though because like this, like you said this movie's been talked about for like three years now and you're telling me it's gonna come out like five years after it was announced like we'll see like i'm not saying that it's not gonna happen but like it doesn't feel like there's been much, if any, progress on this movie made aside from the fact that there's like a script and a director attached. We also don't necessarily know the the fate of Henry Cavill and the other Justice League film. Yeah, that is that is a, a massive piece of the puzzle. And I think uh, to the point that Pete just made about the Batman uh, and how long it's taken to get movement. Justice League is the, the direct reason why. Mm. Because Justice League 1 failing to really light the box office on fire changed all of DC's plans. The Batman was supposed to... Um, I, I want to say it was supposed to be out already. And Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was supposed to come out this year, wasn't it? Too? Uh, like after they delayed something it? Something like that. And once Justice League failed, obviously the sequel was taken off the table. Uh, the Batman was put on hold. Uh, Man of Steel 2 suddenly was a thing that people didn't weren't talking about. Um, and we've, we've seen a lot of changes since then. Um, so I think that 
because of the lack of success on Justice League's part, we can't really predict a lot about DC. Um, the only thing that seems clear now, because of the success of Aquaman and Wonder Woman, is that they're really not interested in f- pursuing a shared universe for as long as they can avoid it. And I've always said that that's not my cup of tea. I'm not into that. But for the last two movies, it's worked. So, all right. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like you have to earn a shared universe where you establish a bunch of successful franchises and then make them cross over. Not, you know, have two directors with totally, totally inconsistent styles uh, Frankenstein together a movie that introduces like four characters and then tries to pick up threads from the other guy who you kicked out because his movies weren't successful. Wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you know what's the one thing to me? It, it's, it's clear, and we've said this before, is that like this, this arm of DC really lacks leadership because they have announced so many movies that I am confident will never come out. You know, and they've announced movies and canceled them and delayed them. And then the ones that have come out have largely been bad. You know, like your mileage may vary on a few of them. I think it's very clear, though, that there are like there are three tiers of DC movies. Right. There's like the ones that are actually good, which I I think a lot of people feel is only Wonder Woman and maybe a margin of error of like Aquaman and Man of Steel. And then there's the like okay-ish movies like Suicide Squad and then like just trash. And like the okay-ish movies are like a D at best. They're not like B movies. They're they're D movies. So it's like, dude, I don't I don't know. I, I really feel like they they need somebody who knows what they're doing at the head. And it's like we thought that was gonna be Jeff Johns and like we saw how that worked out. So not because of him, but because of them, you know? So it's like, I just, I don't know what the hell they're doing over there, Well, man. these last two, well, Wonder Woman and, um, Wonder Woman and Aquaman and Shazam are all movies that are coming from the Jeff Johns era. So, and those are the ones, I mean, Wonder Woman, obviously, a lot of people really loved. And then Aquaman is the, is the best performing DC movie of all time. So right. the fact that his name flies under the radar and he's not receiving any credit is crazy to me. When the Aquaman film, a lot of it is based on his run. We read it for the book club that you can go check out. And you can see a lot of the, the elements at play that were based on what he did. And then behind the scenes as a producer, behind the scenes as a, as a, as a person who helped write the movie, he doesn't seem to be getting a lot of credit. Shazam, of course, is one of his babies. He's been dying to see a Shazam movie, and I know that he had a lot of input with that one, too. So It looks good. Right, a lot of people feel it looks good. So it's weird that he doesn't get get the credit that he probably deserves on this. But one thing I will say is that, you know, you talk about DC needing somebody who has more vision for the future. Uh, it's It's hard to say that they're not in a good place right now. I think that if you look at the slate of films that they have coming out, right, and you include Aquaman since it just came out, Aquaman obviously a bona fide success. Shazam, a movie that people seem to be looking forward to. Um, Joker, a movie that looks like it's probably going to be pretty good. 
at this point, I'm confident to say that it's probably going to be pretty good. At least decent. Will it be? Yeah, exactly. Um, there's there's vision behind it. It's not just, let's just make a superhero movie. Let's just make a Joker movie and have him be a Looney Tune. There's actually like a, a concept, right? And I also, for me, it's like there's also like serious pedigree there. You know, like Joaquin Phoenix is a fucking great actor. And Scorsese is uh, producing it, yeah. right? So. Yeah, Todd Phillips directing. So, so there's there's a squad there, um, and then you know we're gonna talk about it shortly. But the news about Suicide Squad and James Gunn being involved with that as a director and writer, that's probably gonna be good. Um, so it feels like they've got a lot of stuff on the horizon that's gonna be like at least good. You can't spell decent without DC. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Kale, you have a take before we jump over? No, I just want to say, uh, listener, if you hear some sort of, like, choppy silences, we we had to cut out Phil, like, jumping into the call because he kept trying to get, like, a Wilson Fist joke in there, and we just had to, right. we had to, we got to nix that, man, like. We've done that joke so much. Is, all I'm saying is I want to see Vince D'Onofrio take over a DC film. He, he's, he's a man who has vision. That's true. So, let's, let's. Assume. Hold let's, on, I'm sorry. Let's say, go ahead. Vincent, D- okay, walk with me here. Vincent D'Onofrio as like a like a fat Lex Luthor, and I, I mean that with no disrespect at all, but like like a like a large Lex Luthor, dude. Yo, dude. I would, I would, <laughs> I would be all in on that. Like, I don't want to typecast him as like bald villains, but like, but listen, <laughs> well, the shoe fits. <laughs> yeah, it's like straight up whatever whatever lets me see Vincent D'Onofrio play another like good good villain like that. Yeah, dude. Like the only reason that I'm gonna sell on that is because Black Luthor would never let himself be anything other than perfect physically. Have you? Uh, I think it's I think it's Loeb and Sales uh, Superman for all seasons. Oh, I haven't read that. Okay, when when Luthor like started he was this kind of like wealthy fat cat businessman and not just you know not necessarily a mad scientist jack of all trades and right. and he was he was larger huh okay yeah so this could also probably slim down a little bit you know like i'm sure he like would like put on weight to be kingpin you know right. like he's a big guy right. but I feel like if he slimmed down and bulked up, he would probably look like Bufflex, mm. you know, like pretty easily. Because there's plenty of incarnations of him where, uh, you know, where he's like real muscly and everything. So I, I don't know. It's fair. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against it. I'm not going to buy on it. It's not like, yes, we need this. But if they made that announcement, I'd, I'd be good with it. So let's let's pretend we exist in a world where uh, Ben Affleck really is done with Batman. Just for a moment. No problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about his time with the character? We saw him in, in three movies, Batman vs. Superman, and, oh, Cameo and Suicide shit. Squad. Yeah, you did. And Justice League. Um, how do you feel about his time in those films? It's, like, hard to judge it because, like, I think he gets a lot of flack for a lot of bat flack. Uh, a lot of bat flack? For, thank you. Bat Flack, yeah. Uh, I think he gets a lot of flack for his performance, but when it really is more the movies that are not good. 
Like, I don't think he was the problem. You know, like, when I saw Batman v Superman, like, Batman v Superman is a train wreck of a movie. But I don't think it's the cast's fault. You know, like, I think there's a version of Ben Affleck as Batman that's actually good. I just don't think we got it. Because the way that the character was written is just, it's just bad. Like, in Batman v Superman, he makes so many decisions and, and takes so many actions that don't make sense. And that continued in Justice League. And it's like when you have a character like Batman who's supposed to be so rooted in logic and control when he's just doing things that make no fucking good. Get like a Brad Bird-directed Superman movie with Henry Cavill. I bet it would be good. But like, I, I and I've made it clear, I think Zack Snyder is, was, was and is not the guy to make superhero movies. Period. And like, I don't think that that era of like the DC stuff, it's like it's just it's rough. It's really rough, you know. And like Man of Steel's a, a far more coherent film. I'm not a fan of it, but it's not. It's just not what I want. But like Batman v Superman and Justice League are both so messy that like it's kind of hard to judge Ben's performance in a vacuum. Okay. Kill. For me, I, and and I mentioned this before. I think I think it's always been that he is supposed to be so much older. I think that I think that that really sort of it tires the character out before you can even get to him. Interesting. Um, I think you know. I think I think having a Batman who is well into his career is a good move. But, you know, a Batman who's coming into the universe or being introduced into the universe who's been, you know, Batman for 30 years or whatever isn't helpful because he's going to have to retire and he, all he's going to do is walk around and grow. Yeah, it's like he feels like very like he's like very like Danny Glover Batman. I'm just like, I'm too old for this shit. It's like it's the first movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think. I, for me, I think that's what probably hurt at least that character the most. Um, I think I think getting to see Batman in his prime and doing Batman stuff on par with the rest of the Justice League um, is what we wanted to see, and it didn't feel like we got to. I I, I pretty much agree with what both of you guys have said. But I want to add the the caveat that I think the concerns that you expressed, Kale, would have been alleviated a lot if his appearances weren't in other people's yeah. movies. Uh-huh. Because yeah. Yeah. He, he never really got, we never got to sit with him. Like, he was always, you know, well, all right, I got to fight a god now. Or, all right, I got to fight a, you know, despot now, you know, and I got to put together the Justice League, you know, you know, like... To be fair, he never... Each of those, each of those items will age you about 10 years. <laughs> so right, that's like pretty rough, right? And so we never got to understand his rage. Like, you get, you get to sort of have glimpses, and if you're comic book aware, then you understand, all right, yeah, Robin probably died, and so he's grumpy now. But you don't, you don't get to feel those things. Yeah. It's only, you know, and that I think is the big it. problem with these movies in general is like you have to be comic book aware for for a lot of it to even make sense. 
And even then, like, that's shitty. Like, and we read comics, right? Like, I, I know this stuff. I went, like, I, so many of my, like, normie friends were like, what was up with that Flash thing? Like, you know, and it's like, well, I had an idea of what it was sitting there when it happened. But, like, that does not make for good filmmaking. If you're sitting in a, a movie that's over two hours and you feel like I don't get a sense of who the characters are or what their motivations are or what they care about or, you know, like if I have to have had this knowledge of, of a separate medium and like I've read all this stuff, let's you have to do homework for the movie to work on an emotional level. That's not like in a lot of DC fans sell that off. It's like, oh, you just don't understand. It's like, no, it's just a bad movie. It's a poorly constructed narrative that you can walk away from it and not. And like you said, Sean, and not have that, like, you don't feel connected to this Batman, you know? Right. And so I think if he had his own movie that was directed by somebody else, where we got to settle in with the character, understand why he is how he is, and stuff like that, that would have helped to root him in something that we could, you know, get along with and grasp. But I think that aside... If I'm just judging based on what Ben did, I think it was a success. Because he, yeah, he presented us with a Batman we've never really seen before, but that's pretty cool, actually. Um, And yeah, it was never going to have the longevity that you would have if you casted a, you know, 30-something in the role. uh, And and play a a version of Batman that is around that age. But I think that's okay. Just if you're going to get, if that's all we got, if that's all we were ever going to get... All it makes me feel like is, man, I wish we had more opportunities to see what Ben would have done. Because I think he is a good actor, and I think that he really did understand the character that he was playing. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the shame of it. Is It feels like if I had to use two words to define my feelings on Ben Affleck's Batman, tenure as Batman, it would be missed opportunity. Fair enough. So, I also think some of this, some of the hard press around this is coming off you know the last set of good batman films was only what 2012 yeah uh, the rises dark knight rises yeah and then man of steel was kind of supposed to be roughly of the same caliber sort of in the same universe right not in the same universe. It was supposed to be, like, tonally inspired by what works from those movies. Oh, is that right? They played a lot of games with that. Yeah. And I understand why you're bringing that up, Kale, because Christopher Nolan's name was attached. Yeah. It had the same tone and tenor. It, it looks similar. I feel like they deliberately wanted you to think that Batman and Superman, that Christopher Nolan's Batman, and Superman were in the same universe. It also is why I. It's also the same reason why I believe they chose to go with an older Batman mm. instead of a younger one, because then it could feel like the Christopher Nolan Batman jumping over and and being like, all right, he's around the same age that he was in the Nolan film, so it feels like a, a natural progression. Mm. I've always felt like they were playing a game with that. Um, so so yeah, uh, a missed opportunity. I think I think that's that's pretty well said on that front, then Pete. Um, and we'll leave it there because I think that we will end up talking about this a little more in the future. Um, we'll see how things go. Um, we don't know the villain yet. They haven't said anything about that. Uh, we know that they're looking for 
uh, a younger Batman. Um, so we'll see what, what casting looks like. No names jump out to me. We've seen names floated around. We'll see what, how that develops. We've played that game already on this show before, so we'll leave that alone. We'll jump instead into the other big news that we got this week, which is about James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie. We were always under the assumption that he was making Suicide Squad 2. Whether or not it would be a spiritual uh, successor or an actual follow-up was in question, but it was fair to assume that it was going to be Suicide Squad 2 because that's what they were making at the time that he took over. But we now know that the movie will be called The Suicide Squad. It will come out August 6, 2021, and... It will actually be a relaunch. According to THR, uh, it is not being labeled a direct sequel, but as a relaunch. And the focus is to take the franchise in a new direction with a mostly all-new cast of characters and actors very much rooted in Gunn's vibe. Mm. Mostly. So, Guardians of the Galaxy Mm. in Suicide Squad. Mostly new cast. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine they're going to bring back Margot Robbie and Will Smith yeah. if they can, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, interesting. You think Will Smith? If they can. Hmm. It's like, why wouldn't you, right? Like, Will Smith is a great actor. He's popular. I don't think, again, I don't think he was the problem with that movie. It was the script. Yeah. Like, I liked yeah. him as Deadshot, you know? It was just that, like, the script of the movie was bad. Same with Margot Robbie. I like Margot Robbie. She's a fine actress, like, but... We are the bad guys is a bad line. You know, like it's it, they're they're the movies and that's that's my feeling about all these movies. It's like they're just they're just poorly executed. Like it's not like keep the whole same cast. I don't even give a shit. You know, like I there was no actor in that film that stuck out to me as bad. So let's presume that they're gonna wipe the whole cast, right? Like, they're not bringing any actor back. Let's now re... Not recast, because I don't care about what actor. If you feel like you want to throw an actor out there, that's fine. But let's put a Suicide Squad team together. Let's try to predict... Like what characters it would be? Yeah, let's try to predict James okay. Gunn's Suicide Squad. I think Captain Captain Boomerang is a no-brainer. In a James Gunn movie, too, I think for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would imagine so. Like that's a character that feels like you could get a lot of mileage out of. Yeah, I feel like you'd also you'd also probably have Killer Croc in the Drax role. Yeah, or at least in the heavy role. Like you know, yeah. you need somebody who's a bruiser. I can't think of a better DC villain for that than Killer Croc. Wasn't there a shark guy on the team fairly recently? Yeah. Do you know? Oh, oh, was it King Shark, Killer Shark, something like that? King Shark sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, I think it's King Shark. That's a badass name. Yeah. He's pretty cool, actually. Uh, It could be him if they wanted to replace Killer Croc, but I feel like Croc has, you know, obviously a lot more, like, name recognition. So I'm going to throw out – go ahead. He's surely going to go with Catman, right? I thought about Catman, but isn't Catman more associated with Secret Six? I – always kind of figured they were interchangeable so maybe fair enough uh i i wanted to throw out a name who doesn't really get a lot of play but i really feel like is prime for an awesome uh 
portrayal on film and who I think James Gunn could really do a lot of good with, and that's uh, Clayface. I was going to say that too. Yeah. And I feel like Clayface has, like, become a lot more popular. You know, like, I mean, obviously, like, he got, like, kind of a new wave of popularity in the 90s with the animated series, but, like, he's been kind of, I feel like, more relevant recently, so why not? I also think you you, you probably do have to just bring Deadshot back. I feel like Deadshot and Harley are a lock. I, well, I would say Harley's a lock because of where she's at in DC right now, but... Uh, I think Boomerang and Deadshot are very uniquely Suicide Squad characters. Yeah. Um, what about Poison Ivy? Two, two women on the team? I don't know, Sean. There were like, there were like 14 <laughs> in the last one. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that would be cool. I don't know that we'll see that, but I, I would love that. I would love to get a little bit of the uh, Harley Ivy dynamic and like done by James Gunn, I think it'll be like, I remember being very concerned when there was the announcement of the um, the Gotham Sirens film and it was going to be, or was it, am I, is that the right name? Uh, yeah. yeah, somebody that And then that was going to be directed by the same gentleman who did uh, the original Suicide Squad. I can't, re- I can't remember his name right now, but you know the guy. David Ayer, I believe. Thank you. Um... And I was very much like, yeah, no, I don't want that. I don't want his, like, gross Hot Topic yeah, yeah, that's version right. of it where they, like, make out and it's like, oh, cool, lesbians. Like, I feel like James Gunn is, like, I, I trust him to, like, like do that with some tact and, like, actually, like, have it be, like, emotionally resonant, you know? Um, because, yeah, I mean, James Gunn has a history of, like, making some edgy edgelord movies, but in the same breath, like Suicide, or not Suicide, Suicide Squad, excuse me, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is so full of heart. So I I would love to see uh, Ivy in the role. I think Ivy's yeah. a great character. So, mm. and she's different. Like her move, her like powers are so different than a lot of the other characters that we've thrown out and a lot of the other characters that like, I think you think of when you think Suicide Squad. So like, I could definitely see that being important for the visuals too, to like break things up and not have a bunch of people who just shoot guns and hit people, you know? What about Deathstroke? I could, I, I wouldn't waste him on the team. I think I would rather have him as the antagonist. I think it would be really cool if he was the primary villain. I like that a lot. I like that a whole lot. I think you also have to include uh, Rick Flagg. Because he's in like every incarnation of the Suicide to, Squad. Yeah, to that to that point, I'm looking at various incarnations of the team, and there's not one where I think I know everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, likewise, likewise. Uh, but I think what we've put together probably makes sense. So we said Captain Boomerang, um, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Rick Flag, Clayface, um, Cl- Clayface, and. Um, Killer Croc. I think that's pretty good. Seven. I agree. Yeah, probably like margin of error, like one or two of them maybe not showing up, yeah. so it's not a huge team. Yeah, but I, I think you could probably you could probably argue that um, uh, only Clayface or Killer yeah. Croc would make it in, in which case Killer Croc is more likely, um, and they'd probably leave it there. I, I I honestly don't know that Harley Quinn will make the team, and the reason I say that is because even though she would. She would be a great front 
character because people would pay tickets to see her. She's so much everywhere right now that I don't know that so that, that Margot Robbie would even have the time to act in this movie considering it's coming out in 2021 when we're already getting um, the... Uh, uh, what's the movie? The oh my god. The <laughs> Birds of Prey. We're getting Birds of Prey. And aren't we getting some sort of Harley Quinn solo film as well? But, like, are we, though? That's the thing. I feel like both of those movies are, like, in that weird nebulous space of DC's announced them, but, like, there doesn't seem to be much information on them actually moving oh, forward with Birds them. of Prey is 100% yeah, coming out. There's is that. that already, like, in filming actually, and everything? Yeah, yeah, let's just talk about it. There's a, there's a yeah. teaser out right now. It's only 20 seconds. I'll share it with you here so that you can watch it. Uh, it's literally 20 seconds long. Yeah, Kale, yeah, did you catch I watched it oh, okay. times because everything that happens in it is just like it's so quick. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very odd. I wasn't able to get much of a feel of much from this. I don't know that I was supposed to. Yeah. The only thing that I really caught is that it's a it's a different vibe. Yeah. You know, it's it's certainly not what I was expecting. Like totally, it's very like. It, it does feel, though, like there is some kind of connection that we're supposed to make. Like, I, I don't know, like, there's there's something about this teaser and Suicide Squad that it feels like a thin connection that I can't quite put my finger on. Like, maybe this is like a makeup commercial in the Suicide Squad universe, <laughs> you know? I just, like, to me, they... They do feel connected, but like I said, I can't, I can't find it. I can't figure it out. Birds of Prey is just the name of their yeah. like makeup beauty channel on YouTube. Uh, so I had some issues with this, uh, which you know there wasn't much to take issue with. But first of all, why is Victor Zaz like a normal looking guy? Victor Zaz. He's supposed to be a weirdo. Oh my god. <laughs> didn't even put it together that that was him. Until you just said that. Yeah, what? My other issue with it is that um, Black Mask, played by Ewan McGregor, doesn't have a mask. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I hope he has one in the film. Like, I wonder if that's one of those things where they're like, well, we want to show you that Ewan McGregor's in this movie, so we can't just, like, put a mask on him. But, like... Yeah, he just st- so uh, Victor's ass is that blonde Chris guy here or whatever. Wow, I, yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I guess I, um, I guess you're supposed to know because he has a couple of cuts on his head. Right. Um. So yeah, those are my real issues. That black mask is not wearing a mask, and that uh, Victor's ass is hot. Or, or maybe not hot. I don't know if he's hot, but he's not creepy. He's not like he doesn't look like a psycho, you know. Yeah. I mean, that said, though, look at the uh, the internet's connection uh, conversation about the uh, the Ted Bundy stuff that's going on right now. Like, that's true. Although I don't know that we should be uh, uh, <laughs> <Who> knows, <laughs> endorsing man? that. Who knows? Um, it's it's very odd, but. It was. It's too short to really have a take on other than that. Like that, I don't think yeah. we were meant to get much out of that. Yeah, that, that that was my thing with it. Is it just felt like very much like I don't know. There, there's just so much marketing material like this nowadays that it's just like this was needless. You know, like it existed to get tweets and like 
be on the front page of Reddit so people are like, oh, right, I, this is a movie that's coming right. out. Sure. So it's like, okay, whatever. Like, talk to me when there's a real trailer and we can, like, chew on exactly. that. Exactly. I don't know. I liked it. I mean, it's not, you know, as far as, like, the things that could come out for it, like, there are worse, there are better, but I, I, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's better than, like, a shitty, like, Entertainment Weekly cover or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm, I, like, it's something. Like, we were talking about it, you know? Like, whatever. Um, and is Barbara Gordon in this movie? Oh, uh, no. No. Oh, she's not. Okay. Because the, the Asian person in, in, in this is Cassandra Cain. Right, She's got, like the broken arm or whatever. Right, exactly. What does he do? Okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. We'll figure it out. I guess. <laughs> yes, we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's it's very odd. So, um, there's three Batgirls in this universe, and none of them are Oracle. <laughs> so, right. okay. The other news that kind of slipped under the radar was that DC is making a movie called DC Super Pets, which is coming out May twenty first, twenty twenty one. Yeah, you're right. That did slip under the ring. <laughs> yeah. And Is this a live action movie? We don't know. Uh THR didn't oh didn't say God. specifically, but it's I really hope this is a live action movie. That would be uh, hilarious. That would be hilarious. It's being directed by the writers who worked on Wreck It Ralph and the Lego Batman movie, which obviously were both Shit, okay. Okay. So it's probably animated. I would imagine so. Is it is it just the writers? Like, is it the is it those the two guys who? What are their names? Do you Jared know? Jared Stern and Sam Levine. Oh no, it's not then. Mil- Miller and Lord, I think, are their names. Yeah, yeah, Miller and Lord are the, They are like the writers and directors of um, several of the the last couple of years. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's good pedigree. Both of those movies are more touted for having a good script. So, yeah. um, if if this, I will take this if it's either if the pets are like the Scooby Doo films or if it's animated. Yeah, I'm good with either of those. I think I think it, it, this is the kind of thing where like, do we need this? No, but I feel like if it's done right, it could be super funny and have like a tone that you can't get away with in the regular DC EU yeah. FU whatever. So, uh, could be fun. I'm excited based on that pedigree alone. This isn't for me. This is not something that I'll go see. This isn't something I care about on any level. But hey, if you like it, you like it. The old crypto cartoons. The old crypto cartoon was decent, I seem to recall. I I don't think I ever saw that. It wasn't it wasn't phenomenal, but it was, you know, it was a fun cartoon. Yeah, and by the way, Pete, I love cartoons too. This is a movie about cartoon animals. That I don't care about. It's that's, surprising to me though because you like That's insane to me. You like car- you like animals that talk. And this is like definitely going to be that. Yeah, I like animals that talk, but I don't like cutesy movies about superhero animals that talk. I like How many How many of those have there been? This movie. <laughs> but how do you know you don't like it? It doesn't exist yet. I don't even like crypto. I don't like I don't like any if it's if it's like intended concept. Yeah, if it's intended to be, you know, cutesy. Oh, look at this talking dog! Like, no, I don't. I don't like that. I like. I'm an animal. I talk. It's normal. You know, like, you like rock. You like Kung Fu Panda, not. I definitely don't like Kung Fu Panda either. You don't like Kung Fu Panda? Hell no. Like Jack Black. 
I definitely don't. I cannot believe I signed a business contract. <laughs> Fair enough. We've got to talk to some lawyers. This is horseshit. I like Detective Chimp. You know, I like K- Gorilla Grodd, that type of stuff. This is yeah. like me finding out my wife doesn't like breakfast for dinner after I married her. Like, this is bullshit. Listen, there's time to break both contracts. <laughs> That's the brilliant thing about life. Just get the, just get the right lawyers. <laughs> exactly. So, continuing on with DC, this is another big DC week, although this one seems to be more positive. Uh, we've got a rumor that I would say for sure to take with a grain of salt, because it's coming from Geeks Worldwide. Uh, they say that Warner Animation Group is going to work on a Batman Beyond film, which would be releasing around 2022. Let's fucking go, boys. Hell yeah. I would be so down for this. Let's bring back Will Friedle. Let's do it, man. They include uh, a, a an image, a concept, a character concept image uh, that looks like it could be real. Um, I, I don't know what to make of it, but I'll, I'll share it with you guys if you haven't seen it yet, and you let me know what you think, but it certainly looks like it could be legit. Uh, it could also be fake and created by a fan. Who knows? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> I would, boy. Not, oh, mine's still loading. Yeah. Wait, wait for my hot takes. Go ahead. You're not into it? Is not really what you want to see. <laughs> God, come on. Huh. I mean, I think it looks cool. It's just a concept, you know? It's kind of bad, though. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm not into that. It's not, uh, boy, it's not what you want to see, huh? <laughs> That's how long I waited for this? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what? Go ahead and put that back in the oven, always. <laughs> yeah. All right, so maybe we don't like the leaked concept art, but let's talk about the general idea of a Batman Beyond animated movie. Are you guys into that? Yes. Hell yeah. 100%. Hell yeah. Like, I... I... I'm all for a live-action Batman Beyond movie if that's what they want to do, but, like, the the DC film universe is a train wreck right now. I don't think they need to make another franchise that's, like, in a separate time period. Like, no. I think an animated film is uh, the right way to go for right now because, like, I think Batman Beyond as a character has a ton of resonance if you're our age and otherwise does not. So, like, I think younger viewers, like, have no relationship or concept of who Terry McGinnis is or, like, what the Batman Beyond universe is like, you know? Unless they're, I guess, someone who went back and watched the show or read the comics. But, like, you know, I I just don't feel like Batman Beyond has, like, done much to maintain its relevance. It's, It's definitely a thing that we look on nostalgically. And I think coming back in the place where it was born and really, like, hitting it hard and being good is the right way to bring back, like, Terry as a, as a concept to, like, a new generation. And then maybe we build to a live-action movie. So I just did a little further digging, and Umberto Gonzalez, who is a guy who has a lot of... He, he breaks a lot of scoops and... Um, is always on top of this stuff. He works for the rap. He says that there is no Batman Beyond movie coming out. 
um, that he spoke to people at Warner, and their official word is not true. We are not working on an animated Batman movie. So there she goes that. As, I wonder, soon as, as soon as they were raised, I wonder if that's just like somebody doodling, you know, like some Warner <laughs> animation person took an Instagram picture of what they were working on, and somebody took it and you know was like, oh, they're making a a Batman Beyond movie. I mean, it's also possible that, like, the statement's a lie. <laughs> it's not like that's ever happened before. You know, right. like, there are plenty of... We talked about it on uh, VGP, like, last week, where um, one of the games that was announced in the Nintendo Indie Highlights for Switch, like, not even two weeks earlier, the developers were like, oh, it's like we made an HTML. It's, like, basically impossible to put it on Switch. It's going to be really hard. And then they announced the Switch version. You know, so uh-huh. it's like, a lot of times people lie to preserve an announcement, you know? That's that's also true. So, Pete, you mentioned that you would not want to see a Batman Beyond live action film because DC's a dumpster fire. Just right now. Right. Yeah. So, first of all, it is 20 years since Batman Beyond first came out. The fact that there is no type of Batman Beyond anything happening right now is wild. That makes no sense. so dumb. That is silly. My second point is that if you said that same thing to me literally one year ago, or even six months ago, I would have said, totally agree. But <laughs> because DC has made it clear that they are not interested right now in the shared universe idea, if you're not going to do that, if that's not what you're about, then Batman Beyond is totally fine. Because That's fair. You're you're, you're 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 telling all kinds of stories. So you you you're, you're telling stories in the past. You know all that. You might as well just go into the future and tell a cool Batman Beyond story. Especially if you can get Michael Keaton to play Bruce Wayne. Dude, I would fucking throw up. That would be awesome. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That would be fan fucking tastic. Yeah. Yeah, and like the thing is, I want that. I want that movie. I just want it to be good. I don't want it to be like DC good, you know? Where like, in my opinion, the best movie in the DC canon is Wonder Woman, and like the third act sucks. So like, I don't want that, you know? I want a a real quality Batman Beyond movie. If they can give it to me, I'll take it, man. Let's get Ryan Coogler over there to make uh, Batman (laughs) Batman Beyond movie. Oh, let's get the team that did Spider-Verse to do it. Like, I want, like, a real sleek, stylish animated movie inspired by Batman the Animated Series that, like, that noir, neo-gothic look. You know, like, I, I feel like I feel like that is the best way to make a good Batman Beyond movie. But don't get me wrong. If they can get, like, a director of, like, James Gunn's caliber, who I trust yeah. with a solid acting team behind a live-action Batman Beyond project, I'll stand for that all fucking day. And I think to your point, Sean, it's ludicrous to me that this IP has been like allowed to languish, especially right now, when we're in like prime 90s and like early 2000s like nostalgia mode. You know, it's like when, when is a better time to do this? Like, all of the people that grew up watching that show are now our age or in their 30s, and it's like, we're like we're ready for it, you know? If they came out and hit this and it's good, people would show up for this in droves, I think. Totally agree. I feel like the comic does really well, too. 
I mean, it must be doing at least somewhat well because it's been running for a long time. Because it's still, yeah, it still sells. Like, it's still, and, and by that, I mean, it's still there. Yeah, and it's like, I feel like it's one of the only books that they, they did a reboot because it's, like, outside of uh, uh, continuing I th- everything. I think there was a soft reboot fairly recently. Was that, like, around Rebirth time? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I could be wrong about that, but. Either way, like, you're right. Like, the fact that it still exists speaks to the fact that there's an audience for this character. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they're missing the boat, and I wish that they would uh, not <laughs> miss the boat because he's just such a cool character, and it's such a cool idea. It's it's probably one of the only like successor stories that I really love. Ben Affleck on like you know retainer for like fifteen more years. <laughs> he's like, oh, you got to fulfill your contractual <laughs> obligation twenty years after you signed it. Listen, or, or fucking like, he plays Batman in 2019. Oh, the one who like shoots who the is gun. like that transition you know? Batman yeah. who you know Michael Keaton's old Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then we get, and then we get Michael Keaton as old Batman. And then just get some get some like Tom Holland esque 18, 19 year old kid to play Terry. I don't want to know his name. I want to know him as yeah. this character. The most famous. I want to know this person to be is like Robbie Amell level. Maybe, maybe he's on a CW show. And that's, listen, that's a hard fucking maybe. Yeah, yeah. Someone who's under the radar. Maybe they are bubbling, but they gotta be. Yeah, like like you said, like bubbling, like someone like the way that, um, like John Boyega, like in Star Wars, where it was like, oh yeah, he's been in some shit, he's got chops, but like, he's a relative unknown, you know? Like, that's, that's what I want. I want some a kid who's hungry, you know. Yeah. yeah. God, you got me hyped, man. I want. I want this movie to come out, and it's not <laughs> even in development. <laughs> Didn't we talk about something like this on the Riverdale review? We brought this up like several times, where it's like, man, let's get Michael Keaton in a Batman yeah, Beyond yeah, yeah, yeah. movie, and every time I'm just like, yes, please. I feel like I feel like at one point on the Riverdale review, there was a certain scene with Jughead where we were like, is. Is Cole, is Cole Sprouse Terry McGinnis? Yeah, actually, I would take Cole Sprouse as Terry McGinnis. He's the most famous person right. I'd take. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So let's move into the world of comic books. Uh, we haven't talked about those yet. Uh, because Andy Schmidt, who is a name that um, some of you may be familiar with, he's um, one of the premier editors uh, from the 2000s at Marvel. Um, he was one of the main people behind An- An- Annihilation, uh, that whole comic. <clears throat> um, and now he actually runs Comics Experience, which is a, uh, an online school uh, that you can take classes in for comics. He is returning to comics to tell a story called Achilles Inc., which is by himself and Daniel Main, who's going to do art on this book, which and it's a series that sort of reimagines superhumans as the one percent of the population. So Ooh, here's the that's interesting. Yeah, here's the synopsis. I like that. Ten years ago, a sliver of the world's population was granted superhero or superpowers in an instant. Since then, these boosters have turned the planet's socioeconomic systems on their ear. 
Instead of dressing up in colorful costumes and beating each other up, they formed a union called Power Corps and replaced the blue-collar workforces across the globe. The world is in despair. Jobs are scarce, and we duds are nearly useless to fight back. That's where Ransom and his Achilles Incorporated team come in. This firm that exploits the weaknesses of boosters has taken on the big case. The fuse is lit. So this is a four-issue series or a mini-series that will be published through SourcePoint Press. Hmm. And oh, cool. yeah, so pretty cool. Uh, I just wanted to read some of Schmidt's words on this book. He said, "Achilles Inc. is a special book for me because it's my first return to superpowered characters, really since leaving Marvel editorial. I've done the odd thing here and there, but this is the first time I felt like I've really had something to say. I see a new metaphor in the superpowered today." than I did when I related to the X-Men and Doom Patrol as a kid. This is my adult version seeing superpowers through the lens that I see the real-world superpowers often being misused today. Man, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I, I love this idea. Uh, first of all, I really love the idea of, <laughs> of people with powers being called boosters. Boosters, that's, that's a cool name. It's a really cool name, I like that a lot. Um, but I love stories like this. You know, like, I, obviously this is the pedigree that began with Watchmen, but deconstructions of superheroes are always interesting to me. Uh, because I think, obviously, you know, we've talked about this a lot, and we talked, we've talked about it quite a bit on this show, but, you know, superheroes are American mythology, you know? And we, we definitely put heroes, and especially fictional ones, on a pedestal in American society. So anything that kind of puts a, a funhouse mirror up to that and explores the ideas of how that power can be abused or manipulated or, or any of those things are always interesting to me. You know, like I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Mark Way's Irredeemable. You know, um, The Boys is another great example of a book like that. You know, so like I, I love stories like this and I think this sounds like a, a really unique angle to take on it. You know, like a, a more uh, financial evil than, like, you know, um, that are, like, secretly murderers or drug addicts or, you know, sexual abusers or something like that. Like, this is far more representative of, of the real evil in the world. Hmm. And that's cool. It reminds me of uh, Cowl, uh, which uh, Kyle Higgins put out with uh, Alex Siegel and, and Rod Reese uh, a few years ago now. It's about uh, superheroes uh, sort of being a society and forming a union. I think I, I feel like I read the first volume, but it's, it's been a long time. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Kyle Higgins too. He's got that. This was before his, uh, uh, Power Rangers heat. So Andy Schmidt actually, um, aside from the fact that he was one of the architects behind the mid two thousands Marvel, he wrote a, a book that I really, really love called uh, The Insider's Guide to Creating Comics and Graphic Novels. Uh, so it's a you know sort of self, self-help book, I guess, about how to create books, how to create comics. And that's one of the first things I ever read of that ilk, and it really, really helped me. Um, and then obviously I took his class, and then um, he also wrote a book called Five Days to Die, which was a five-issue mini um, that I really loved. So he's got chops, and I'm excited to see what he does with this one. Especially because, like, I like that he seems like he's at a place in his career where, like, 
he's really only creating things that like he's in- really inspired to create. Like he said, like I feel like I it's the first time I have something to say in a long time. Yeah. Mm. So like that's great, you know. I'm sure I'm sure that it's gonna be good. Absolutely. Let's talk about something else that I think Pete probably assumes will be good. Invincible, the uh, comic book turned animated Amazon series, has revealed some of its cast. It has! <laughs> ah, I'm finally on the show when we talk about Invincible! Yay! Right? So, uh, Stephen Yuen and. Is that, that's how to say his last name, right? It's Yun. Okay, Stephen Yun and J.K. Simmons have joined the cast. Hell yes! And Both s- of them! Yeah. Uh, and so has um, Sandra Oh. Yeah. Hell yeah. There's a, like, the, the, there's a couple other names that have been confirmed uh, through, like, some other, like, like, it was, like, a Hollywood Reporter Insider kind of thing, and, like, the whole cast is, like, fire. I mean, Seth, Seth Rogen um, is on it. Uh, Zazie Beats. Gillian Jacobs. Yep. Uh, Mark Hamill. And, uh, I think Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, I'm a fan of every one of these people yeah. that they've confirmed. Uh, one of the other guys from The Walking Dead, the guy who plays Ezekiel, is in it too. Yeah, so... The old, is that the old guy? It's the dude with the dreadlocks and the tiger. Oh. We still don't know... Oh, 2020 is when it's coming out. Okay. Yeah. So, not, not too long to wait. Um, no, I'm so hyped for this, man. Yeah, animated. That's going to be... That's, Perfect. Honestly, that's... Yeah, that's where you want to see it. Yeah, because, like, that's the thing. Like, I remember when they announced the Invincible, like, film, you know, um, that was going to be produced by Seth Rogen and his writing partner, Evan Goldberg. Uh, like, Robert Kirkman threw his weight behind that, where he's like, I believe they're the right guys for the job, and da 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 I want that. I want a good live-action Invincible movie, but I recognize that, like, the the goalposts for that are so tough. Because, like, I feel like it's a lot like the problem that, um, oh my god, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Edgar Wright faced when he adapted Scott Pilgrim, where it's like, I'm not getting two of these. You know? So, like, well, and I think with Invincible, it's probably more likely that they would sign on for, like, a multi-picture deal. But, like, to actually tell the entire story of Invincible from, like, front to back, like, correctly, even if you cut a lot out, is going to take more than three movies. You know, like the book. Yeah, I mean, like, like if you if you read all of Invincible, you go from the like the day that Mark gets his superpowers when he's like 17 until like, like the end of his life, basically, you know, like it's, it's, it's a very complete story. And I think like even if you cut a lot of it out, there's like there's so there's so many eras of Invincible where they're dealing with totally different villains or locales or char- like casts of characters and stuff like there's so much there that I really think that like doing it on the big screen is going to be a, a tall order whereas like an animated series is like the I, I honestly think that that's the easiest medium to translate a comic to well you know and like when you've got seemingly a strong creative team and a stellar voice cast and like you know, I, I feel like there's a there's a real recipe for a, a solid fucking show here, and I'm so excited, and I'm so excited for there to be more conversation around Invincible because we all know that when something gets adapted, that's when people pay attention to it, and 
Invincible is just like such a phenomenal book that so few people have read. I am one of those that haven't read it, and I'm quite excited to watch this because everything will be new to me. Um, I will absolutely take the plunge. This is a lot easier to commit to. And um, I normally don't. I hope it inspires you to go back. Yeah, it very well may. I normally don't care about voice cast because you can't see them. So I, I, I never really know who's voicing anything, and it doesn't really matter. Like, I didn't even realize that Will Freddle voiced um, voiced uh, Terry McGinnis yeah, yeah. until like today. So I, I, but this doesn't matter to me. But it's cool that the names are names. You know, um, it speaks to the fact that there's money behind it, right. which is the thing. You know, it's like there's like if you're if you're locking down like this caliber of performer, then there's probably a pretty solid budget. You know, the fact that every person that they named is like a, a name that at least that I know, mm. you know, it's like to me speaks that they're that Amazon is really putting some weight behind this. I mean, and they're getting like not just voice actors in the sense of, you know, traditional voice actors who do animated stuff. They're getting you know, film and television actors to, to lend their voices. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think there's one person on that list that is a that is just a voice actor. I could be wrong about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of them are, like, very prolific voice actors, but a lot of them, I think every one of them is also done live action as well. Hmm. Which is fine, you know? Like, I, sure? mean, I Yeah, I, I'm all about... I, I really care about voice actors. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I really... Yeah. I'm a big fan of, you know, like as someone who's like very nerdy about animation, you know, like I, there are a lot of voice actors I do know by name, but like Mark Hamill is one of the best voice actors that there's ever been. But like, I don't care who he's voicing. I'm, I'm happy that he's, he's in this, you know? And like, I'm a fan of every person that, that we name. So I, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I think it's really going to come together. Eight episodes. I'm just wondering what that's going to cover. Right. Like, it's probably just going to be an arc, you know, it's probably going to be like the opening of Invincible and like the introduction of is like when he gets his powers and his dad and like meeting the team team and like maybe the first storyline where he goes to college and everything. I feel like that might make sense. That might be generous. Yeah, I mean, that's like the first 25 issues. Hmm. So uh, could go either way. I My bet would be we get the reveal that his dad is don't spoil anything okay his dad the first reveal of his dad is what i'll say yeah i I, that that could make sense too like that could be where they end season one yeah cliffhanger yeah so we shall see but i am or even but sorry the the tick uh was i think 10 episodes and they only did a half season. Right, and then the and second then the next half one, came out. Like the, like next, the next year or something, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, I, that could that'd be, be great. Good that'd be fine, too. Uh, this, like, let's just put this. This is something we're definitely going to discuss on the show. Even if Sean's the only one who commits to watching it, I want to do a review or something. Like, Yeah, I'd watch it. I, I really... Awesome. I, I read half of the compendium. No, I read the whole compendium. Um but I haven't picked up the second one, which is the rest yeah. of the series. So, yeah, no, I and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I'm down. Awesome. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm so excited to have an excuse to talk about Invincible. And, like, I hope that this leads to the series, like, at least retroactively now that it's done. Like, getting some of the recognition that I feel it deserves. 
because you know me, like I'm a I'm a big fan of The Walking Dead. Like I like everything that Kirkman's done. I think Invincible is far and away the the most uh, consistently high quality thing that he's ever produced. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to end the news segment on a sour note. Uh, St. Mark's... No, end it there! End it on Invincible! <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> oh, weird. I'm just getting this. They canceled the Invincible series. No! <laughs> it's a quick decision, man. Wow. St. Mark's Comics, which is a mainstay of New York City comic stores, is unfortunately closing at the end of February after 36 R. years. Uh, obviously, the realities of running a comic book store are well known, well documented, and certainly not easy. Especially not in uh, like New York City. Yeah, you know, like it was like the same story when um, what uh, was it? Atomic? I can't remember the name right now. The one in LA that shut down last year. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was connected to Nerdist. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's it, man, like, it's tough enough to run a comic book store. I can't imagine what it's like when you're trying to compete with New York City rent, you know? Like, you gotta be really selling a high volume of shit, especially when there's a ton of stores in the city, you know? Like, yeah. there are no shortage of comic book stores in New York City. There's probably more comic book stores in New York City than any other American city, at least based on, like, my knowledge. That's, that's pretty easy to believe. Um, so... The story of this store is interesting just in with respect to what's around it or what was around it. Um, it was located, obviously, on St. Mark's uh, Place, which is a, a famous street. If you live in New York, you know anything about it, you know that it's pretty famous. Um, and a lot of the stores around it, when it came up in, you know, in the 70s and 80s were, you know, like it was a cool place to be, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, it was the hip shop. Right. It, like, the, the stores around it were very much, like, punk-inspired, fashion, music, different stuff, you know? And you can you can see just, I mean, even small glimpses of that. Yeah. You know, when you go there today. But yep. It's, like, it's not the powerhouse it seemed to be when, uh, you know, people just look back on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that was such a that was such a different time for New York City. You know, like New York City was such a different city before the nineties and or not even the nineties, but before like Giuliani, you know, like Pete uh is an expert on the East, but also an expert on New York City. Um, the East Coast. The East Coast. The East Coast. Exactly. There you go. Uh but no, St. Mark's was one of the St. Mark's Comics was one of the only places that uh was able to survive you know, the changes that have happened in New York as it's become more a place for the elite and as rents have skyrocketed without pay really, um, you know, being commiserate with that, it's amazing that this store was able to survive. But unfortunately, um, they have had to make the tough decision to close their stores. Um, Did want to read a tweet that they sent out and said, yes, after 36 years of surviving the hashtag East Village, world-famous St. Mark's Comics will be closing at the end of February. Thanks for all your kind words and concern as word has gotten out. We will be starting our entry, our, sorry, we will be starting our store emptying sale tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Stay tuned for more. Uh, that is as of January 29th. 
So what a bummer. Yeah, they actually posted a, a little more of an in-depth sort of talk about why they're closing on their Facebook page where they said, we've been asked why. There are lots of obstacles to running a retail storefront in New York City. Too many of them at once to fight, and after 36 pretty intense years, not enough left to fight them. We are forever grateful to our customers who made it possible to pursue our passion for so long. To our family and friends, without whose patience and indulgence, we could never do all the things required to run a retail business for 36 years. Most especially to all the talented and dedicated staff, mostly now extended family, who contributed their time, expertise, ideas, and love to make this the very best shop it could be. We'll see you soon to say goodbye and share a good memory. Let's make this month let's make this month a wake, not a funeral. So oh, that's that's such a sad statement. I just I hate I hate seeing any comic book store close, but it's just especially sad that like it's like you said, right? Like it really was like a a relic from a much different time in the city's history, and it's it's sad to see that I don't know that quality of of the city like more and more get edged out. Yeah, and this is pretty consistent. This is a constant problem, and uh, it's unfortunate that it's affecting a, a comic book um, mainstay, and uh, hopefully. There is some good that comes out of this, even if it's just, you know, people who are regulars there getting to say their goodbyes. Um, this is inspiring me to want to go to a store I haven't been to in a very, very, very long time. Yeah, I want to make one last pilgrimage together. Yeah, so... Yeah, St. Mark's is a really cool place. I, I only got to go there a couple of times when I lived in New York, but I, I really, uh, really like it. Yeah, so... Thanks for the memories, St. Mark's Comics. Alright, so our main topic for today, we're going to be talking about two different comics. We're going to be reviewing Fearscape number 4 and Heroes in Crisis number 5. We've been following both books since they started. And um, we're going to start with Fearscape number 4. So this is a book that I'm actually... Go ahead. So I, I don't think I've been here since uh, since you guys have done this i think somehow i've been absent on yeah. all but one maybe have you and i don't listen to this show right i'm not a fan um <laughs> have you guys talked about how this book is really fucking yes. good yeah yeah we all it's love really it. fucking good well it's funny because when we were we were talking about it this week and i remember kale was like oh like are, are we still reading fear escape this week and i was like yeah fuck yeah we're gonna finish it it's great mm, yeah it's 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 easily one of the most creative comics that I've ever read. It really is, and it's 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 unfortunate because it's actually hard to talk about this without spoilers, and so I feel like we probably should just spoil it because, yeah, at this point, if you, you know, if you're into this book, you can skip ahead. We've got the timestamps for you, but this book has gotten to the point where it's impossible to talk about it without spoiling things. Yeah, because everything that happened in this issue is directly inspired by what happened in the last issue or directly ties to what's happening in the next issue. So unless you want us to just be like, this book is fucking great, we got to yeah. we gotta get into some spoilers. We're balls deep in it now. And Kale, you've read everyone, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, I, I and I read uh, I read three and four at the same time. So him killing the muse for me was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. How fucking dare you? And it's also like... It's such a, it's like one of those great moments in like a thriller where like 
there's been tension building and then all of a sudden like the twist happens and you're like oh things have escalated so far here <laughs> like you thought we were in deep water before oh my god now you're like you're you're plunged you're done yeah this is and it, and it's crazy too because you keep thinking that Henry Henry is gonna swerve and, and like have a face turn and that's just not happening and he, he, he says so toward the end of this issue yeah. it's like uh I know you think this is gonna happen, but it's not. And you're complicit in it. That's why. Oh, it's so good. I f- like Ryan. You're fucking killing it, my dude. I this script. The scripts for all these issues have just been fire. Yeah, Ryan is Ryan is is incredibly talented. Uh, this book takes this issue alone takes so many twists and turns and different things that happen. That there were times where I wasn't even sure what the hell was going on. Um. Yeah, I actually had to reread like part of it to like get all of the stuff that he was dropping for us. You know. Well, and <laughs> and I, I know we've said this before, but the Henry Henry's language is just so fucking yeah. flowery. Yeah. Um, let me. Can I read my my favorite line here? Go for it. Uh, uh, he intends to force plain Jill before you that you might imprint your own personality onto her tabula rasa, and in doing so, promote her from tertiary plot device with delusions of selfhood into the full-fledged protagonist of our tale. Like, that's a fucking mouthful, man. Like I read that line three times. Yeah, me too. Uh, And then the part where he's, like, um, trying to frame the hero in a thousand faces. Yeah. Like, same thing. Like, every one of those conversations, I'm just like, what is this? What are you, reading Shakespeare? (laughs) My favorite part is when he goes and confronts the, like, the the triplets that are, like, the echoes of himself or whatever, and they literally just call him on his bullshit, and they're just like, look, maybe that's working for these, like, tired, dead, but we know you. You're gonna be better off shooting straight with us. Please stop butchering the ball. Yep. I love that. Yeah. Please stop butchering the bard. Yeah, and and I I wish that we spent more time in the Fearscape with these kind of you know crazy characters because they're, they're very interesting. Um, but I I'm very invested in the story of Henry Henry, and it's kind of crazy because if you've ever like told a lie in your life, um, you're probably aware of the feeling of like, oh god, am I gonna be, yeah. you know, discovered and uh and it's a very kind of like weird, gross feeling, you know? And you, most normal people, you tell your little white lie or whatever, and then you move on with life, and you get caught or you don't. This guy is in <laughs> deep. You know, like, he's telling the kind of lies yeah. that most people will never, you know, deal with, but the, the difference between him and most people, what makes him so bad is that he he either believes what he's saying or he's so convicted that what he's doing is right that he doesn't care one way or another. Either way, it's he's awful. A little bit of both. Yeah, he, he's a... Right, yeah. Like, he's he's clearly, like... um He's, he's like, a narcissist, you right. know? Because, like, you can't even say he's a sociopath because if he was, he wouldn't care enough to lie about what he does, right? But, like, he has this image of himself that he refuses to let shatter. Like, he goes as far as calling himself the victim of the murder he committed, because he has to live with the consequences. That was great. He's so committed 
And like, and, and even while he's telling you, the reader, that he's a bad guy and he's not going to have a face turn and all this stuff, he's so, so, like, he needs to convince himself and you that he's in the right, that he's ultimately the good guy, despite whatever bad things he's had to do to, to get there. Right. That he's a, he calls himself a hapless victim of circumstance. <laughs> and it's like, go fuck yourself. There, there's not one thing that happened, has happened in this entire story that where you're a victim of circumstance. No, he's the one who set all this in motion. He's the one. He's been an actor in every single element of this book. And uh, it's actually pretty cool because a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of, you know, protagonists have things happen to them that they need to react to. This guy is is, is actually the driving force behind everything that's happening. And often yeah. in, in stories, the villain is the driving force behind what happens. And that's the right. case. It just so happens that the villain is the bad guy. Yeah, it's like so often heroes or, or protagonists, we'll say, right, are like, are actually a victim of circumstance or they're they're uh reacting to power that seems beyond their control right but it's like he has dug a hole for himself and continued to dig and like he's so clearly going to get at least i think it's clear he's going to get his comeuppance and he's he's the architect of his own destruction you know like there's no one to blame but himself for what's happened i think ultimately you've got to be right but that was one of the things that was a little odd, I guess. It's just that these, you know, these beings that are so far beyond us, they come across as pretty stupid. <laughs> like, the hero of a thousand faces, he believes Henry Henry 100%. And then when the, the muse baby tells him, like, or says bad, points right? right at him. And points right at him. He's like, oh, the baby thinks you're its father, blah, blah, blah. Like, what the hell? Yeah, that was the, um, the first fear. Yeah. That was the first fear. Yeah. I thought it was funny because, like, it very much, like, when, when he talks to the triplets, like, they just make it seem like they're very disconnected from humanity. So, like, they don't, like, because when you think about it, right, the only humans that they regularly interact with are the storytellers that they bring to the world who have probably all been decent and altruistic so on far. Level. Yeah. Right? At least so like like at least like Yeah, right? On this level of like the you know, this magical literature world, right? Right, right. Yeah. Like in in the realm of like, hey, it's your job right now to save humanity, like even a dick is gonna be like, Well yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay. Like, sure. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> so it's like it's so funny that like I, I feel like it's just because they're so unprepared for someone who's so disgusting and like vile and, pe- and petulant. You right. know? Yeah, that, that's that's a good uh, that's a good way to look at it for sure. What'd you guys make of the baby appearing in uh, Proctor's house? Did did I miss no something? Idea. I have no idea. No, I don't think you did. I I was very confused by that. I think yeah. Okay. I, I th- good. Like I I I guess like there's supposed to be some connection there with. Maybe it's the um, Petrarch, I guess is who that is, the the monk-looking guy. Yeah. I, I wonder if the, the baby having the, the leaves on, on its head is like Petrarch in disguise or whatever so that the, the muse baby doesn't get killed. Uh, but like, huh. that's that's what I can figure. Like, I don't... Because the thing... 
the thing that confused me was that like Petrarch clearly yeah. was not fooled. Like he believes that you know it was Henry Henry who killed the muse. Right. Uh, I was confused because I thought that Henry made the plan with the triplets to go to the castle and kill the muse baby, but like then he goes to the apartment. Did he know that it was that? Like I, I was just a little confused by that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, I imagine we'll see what you know the deal is the next issue, but. Yeah, the last time that we had a similar open-ended question like this, of, I'm not sure what's happening. It was answered yeah. in the last issue. So I, I also I also noticed that the um, and this this is probably a a a wide shot, but the first fear says Petrarch carry the infant to her chambers. It's pretty clear he's probably talking about the infant, right? But it could be uh, Jill's chambers. He's referencing like maybe maybe the first fear isn't actually fooled um but like yeah like i said that's that's a pretty wide shot so the pact that was formed was actually for him for henry to take them to what they refer to as the weeping castle which i'm pretty sure is the yeah take the triplets there which i'm pretty sure is the place where like petra and all those other people are are, are rocking so the baby is actually ancillary to all that. But how does he but know? I thought that was the deal, was that they were going to kill the baby in return for him to you. Uh, it says, regardless, a pact was formed. I would show them the location of the Weeping Castle. For much like the grave of the poets before it, they could not find it without a guide. Once there, they would remove from me the children of Prometheus. I assume the children of Prometheus are all those people, right? That are hanging out. And then in return, I would guide them to a monument within the Fearscape I had never encountered, yet they insisted I would be able to find. Okay. All so, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but And then there's another part that kind of threw me for a loop, too, which is the part where Henry says he's going to speak directly to uh, the the those of us who are, like, not the yeah. casual reader, yeah. right? Yeah. I took nothing away from that. And that's what feels that's what made me feel so weird is that I felt oh god. Like what I'm am I missing? Lost. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, like yeah. We're we're reading this digitally. Like I'm I'm wondering if like we should highlight it and maybe see if there's like hidden text or something. Like <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a good point. So in prior issues, uh, at the end, what they've done is they've done like a almost a sizzle reel of shots that give you an idea of what's going to happen next. And I think this was that. Um, but word he says he says um, God, this is so good. He says, "I fear my diction wasn't perfect. A few common words may have slipped through. I doubt the casual reader capable of deciphering anything from them, though. We needn't worry. I think that this is supposed to just be a, a glimpse into what's what's going to happen." And if you read the words carefully or can figure some shit out from what's here, maybe you can decipher what's going on. But that we're supposed to be lost. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly, like, not a puzzle guy like that. So, like, when I read that, I was like, I feel like I'm missing something and there's, like, some cipher bullshit I need to do here or whatever to, like, get it. But, yeah, whatever, I'm fine being a casual reader if that makes me not complicit in Henry Henry's crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish that uh, Phil was on this one because I think Phil would have a lot to say about this. But in any event, uh, a great issue. Um, Ryan O'Sullivan, I think, knocking it out of the park yet again. Uh, Brother, you're 
fucking killing it right yeah. now. This book is fantastic. Like, and, I've been a fan of a lot of what I've read from Ryan's work, but this is like, this is some next level shit. Yeah, you know, I think he's really hitting a stride here. And a lot of people have recognized it as such. The book ended up on a lot of um, best of the year lists. Four reprintings. Four for reprintings. That nobody had heard of from a publisher that I was not aware of before now. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah, very, very yeah. cool. Uh, hats off Kudos, to the whole team. Man. Andrea Moody is doing a phenomenal job yeah, on the I, art. I, um, every I issue is great. This hero of a thousand faces, like that, is so just. Oh yeah. man, what a cool character design! And, yep. Like the coloring of his face and everything, and like, yeah, it's it's really, really something special. This this is like, if you're if you're still sleeping on this book, it's a must read. Like, you got to give it a shot. Absolutely. Like it's like I, I said this before, it's one of the most unique things I've read in the medium. Which Ever. is saying something. We, um, yeah. we should probably do a book club of this whole thing um, as a trade, just to like go back and do the whole thing. Yeah, I'd I'd be down to do that when it's over and like try to like let's re-examine it and see if there's more we can pull from it. Yeah, I haven't been able to get a feel for when this is ending. Uh, I don't think that um, when I interviewed Ryan, I asked him. I don't think he said when it was ending, or you know, didn't know necessarily. Um, but when that does happen, I'd love to do it. And I would also love to get Ryan back. And that's something that we'll, we'll definitely do, um, you know, whenever this series does end as kind of a postmortem, you know? Yeah. He already told us he's down. So look forward to that. It's happening. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I would love to do that. I feel like it's got to be ending pretty soon. Or, or at least this arc enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah, whether or not it continues from here is another story, but I feel like this specific storyline seems like it's coming to a close. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, maybe two issues. Yeah, I feel like issues. it was a six-issue thing, is what I recall. Yeah. Either way, you gotta check this one out. Please, please don't sleep on it. Absolutely. So let's jump over and talk about Heroes in Crisis number five. Now, number four was a book that I was very high on, and uh, I think we all agreed generally that it was better, um, but how much we enjoyed it, I think, varied from person to person. Um, yeah, I had some problems with it. Yeah. This, this issue is different than the last one, and it progresses the storyline with respect to the fact that now Superman has made a big speech about what uh, sanctuary was and you know explains why the heroes needed it and why it's not something for the general population to uh, fear or to really you know react too much to and then on the side of that you've also got uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold who come up with a plan to find out who really did this so they could clear Booster's name. What did you guys make of this issue? I brought up how I hate Batgirl's costume, right? We talked about that. It's bad. I also hate it. It's a bad costume. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, as far as... Yeah. It's awkward. Just, um, as far as the general... It progresses the story. I appreciate that. But I... The thing about Superman's speech is I... I don't quite get why we needed that, right? I don't, I don't, I can't make the connection of that being there for us. Yeah, I think for me, this issue felt very messy 
where like there was a lot going on because like Sean said, right? Like there's what happened with Superman. There's the booster uh, and Blue Beetle of it all. There's the Harley Quinn and Batgirl stuff still going on. And it, it's just like, and then there's still the interviews being intercut. So I felt like it just kept switching gears and like everything felt a little underserved. And like it very, it reminds me of how a lot of these issues have felt for me. But like, I still think the first one was probably the one I enjoyed the most. Um, where it just feels like peaks and valleys. Like there are strong moments, but overall it doesn't feel very cohesive. And like it might make more sense as we continue to like move the story forward, but we've we're pretty far into the story now. And like it still just feels messy to me. Like I liked the speech as a moment, but it being like intercut with all these other things while also people are like talking and having dialogue and it's just like it very much felt like Here's Tom King, like, waxing philosophic on what he feels about, like, heroes and trauma and, like, that you having pain doesn't make you weak and, like, that's a great sentiment and everything. But, like, it just, it doesn't feel like it's serving anything to me. And, like, I didn't dislike it. You know, I didn't have as um, negative a reaction as I did even to the last issue. But it's, like, it's still not really doing anything for me. Like, the best parts of it are still... To me, just the interviews in a vacuum, you know, like all the surrounding narrative is just not super compelling for me right now. Yeah, this this issue really just um, I just didn't like it. I, I just I just so didn't. Dragged. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Booster or Blue Beetle. And I know that a lot of people are. And obviously Tom King is. But the last thing I ever wanted was an event based around characters like that. I just don't care about them. Well, and it's just like I f- I feel like like the booster beetle part and e- and even the the Batgirl Harley Quinn part is interesting, but like they're they're just burdened by Superman's speech. It's just like you know I feel like I feel like the audience knows what sanctuary is supposed to be like we we have seen that already it's been five issues we had that flashback in issue three or whatever what are you trying to tell us here like why why is this a moment that we the audience needed to have i feel like he's hitting us over the head with it you know like i feel like what he's trying to say is exactly what he said you know where it's like this is very much how i feel about this issue right that like you like you as a, a person, right, or a warrior, whatever you want to say, like asking for help, reaching out is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, of strength or it's a sign of trauma. And like, great. I think that's supposed to be the whole point of the story. But like, there's also this whole like, I, I really guess it's just like, I don't understand why there's like a murder mystery and everything. You know, like it, it feels like Tom King wants to say all these things and he needed a story to frame it around. And I feel like, we're we're going back and forth between the stuff that Tom King wants to say and talk about and then like a story that's supposed to be pushing it forward and it's just not you know and cuz like to your point what moves the plot forward in this episode or in this episode in this um issue is the speech not what happens with Booster or with Harley and and uh Batgirl it's like 
both of them. Like, we get check-ins on their stories, but it's such a small amount of motion. It's like, oh, Booster and Gold decide they're going to do the same thing that was already done. Or Booster and Gold. Booster and Blue. Decide to do the thing that Booster already tried and failed, but it, but now it works. And did we actually get any new information? No. We know that they are going, they know something now that we'll probably find out next issue, but it led to nothing. And the same thing happened with Harley and Batgirl, where it's like they got new information, but we didn't get new information. And to your point, Kale, was that, is that, is that good? Is that a thing that like is like their storylines, quote unquote, move forward, but we still have these questions, whereas we have an entire like what, two or three pages of Superman, like telling us what we're supposed to be thinking and feeling that doesn't push the plot forward. And that's like the, the big moment of the issue. And it's like, it's a fine moment, but like, to what end? I don't really even feel like Superman's uh, speech moved anything yeah. forward. I, I, nothing really moved anything forward. Like, this issue just feels like it's framed around a speech that, that for me, rang hollow. Because this is stuff that I already know. I don't know... You know this if you read comics. You know this if you read superhero comics. Why the heroes need sanctuary is something that should be obvious. Tom King explained already over four issues. It's not. It's not a surprise. You. That's that the nail does not need to be hit over the head that hard. You know. This this feels like one of those episodes in the Marvel Netflix shows where you're like seven or eight episodes in, and then it's like we gotta tread some water. You what? know, like. I just don't. I don't feel like it accomplished anything. Yeah. Is it? It's worse in some ways because I don't. I don't even think that this was entertaining. I. I yeah. I, no, it wasn't. Like uh, I. I. I was reading it for the review and was just what? like, God, like let's. I mean, fucking like move if the excuse is like, let's do something. Let's let Clay Man fucking do some cool art. Like DC, make a Clay Man art book. Like all of this art is dope as hell. Like. I just feel like Heroes in Crisis should have just been the interviews and, like, good art. Like, I don't know. Like, that's the thing that's most compelling to me. And I feel like the plot is just not there. Uh, I don't know. I feel like you could have... There's a way to make this um, something more than what it is. They just... Tom King is just not trying to do that. Like, okay, cool. You want to have a murder mystery. No big deal. Um, there needs to be more than, you know, C and D list characters trying to figure it out while the main the main characters are just off the board. What did Batman do in this issue? He talked to Batgirl. She gave him some sass. He moved on. Wonder Woman's not even in it. Superman gives a speech. Oh, no, 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 no. Wonder Woman put her hand on Superman's shoulder. Yeah, why Why right. is Superman giving this speech? Like, traditionally... Oh, that... Traditionally, that, Wonder that Woman sense. is yeah, like the sense. ambassador, right? Like, she's the one that... Yeah, but I think given the context of what's been going on, like, Superman is, like, the face that people still trust. Not that they don't trust Wonder Woman, but I feel like we, we've had that. You know, like, that's a thing that's, like, established. Like, even in Doomsday Clock, right? Like, the whole, like, super uh, men theory and everything like that, everyone's like, well, Superman's okay. Like, he's a citizen of the world, and, like, he's he's totally fine. You know? He's above reproach. Where it's like, 
canonically, Wonder Woman has done things that are maybe questionable. I wouldn't argue that, but like I would. She's killed. Yeah. She's killed people. <laughs> Wonder right? Woman's like, done some bad. Shit. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's killed. She's killed plenty of people. Like, and Superman. Ha- Superman, like, I feel like has the. He's the world's hero. Like, there's no blood on his hands either. And yeah, you're right. He's the world's hero. He's a symbol of peace. And if he's the one telling you that there's nothing for you to be afraid of and, like, this is why I believe in this and why I believe in these people, I feel like that carries weight to everybody, you know? Absolutely. I think the speech he gave in Doomsday Clock was better written, and I think that the message of this issue, you know, I understand that in story, Superman is delivering a a speech to the public, but... That's not real. What's real is that we're we humans that exist in, in real life are reading Superman's, you know, speech, and it delivers a hollow message. Yeah. Again, like, why do we need to see that? Yeah, it could have been shorter. It could have been worded better. I don't know. I just don't know if Tom King has the grace to deliver the message that he's trying to. And I think I think one of the things in comics. Um, you know, that, I mean, in any medium, really, is you got to show. And, and they've shown a lot through those, um, through those uh, sh- therapy shots, right? Those interviews. They've shown a lot. And they've shown a lot throughout the series how these characters are in pain. We get the point. We don't yeah. need this. Um, it, it, and it, it's tiresome. The thing that's weird to me is, like, I, I feel like he should be able to do this. Because I feel like he's tackled other serious issues like this with a lot more, I don't want to say tact, because I don't feel like there's a lack of tact here. It just feels like it's sloppy. Like, the vision isn't quite there, you know? Like, it's like, I feel like he had the idea of, like, here's what I want to say about heroes and trauma and therapy, but, like, he couldn't come up with a, a good enough story to... Like justify its existence. See, yeah, you know? I think I do think the the speech is eloquent. I think the speech is good. It's, it's just well written. Yeah, it's placed wrong. Like I feel like this speech should should be like at the end, when you know when we're coming out of the muck and the mire of this whole mystery. Like where this is five of nine, so like why are we supposed to be? Why are we getting this confidence from? you know, our shining light in the middle of the series. Like, this this should be the part where we're deep in it and, oh my god, there's no hope. Right, and I don't even feel that hopelessness. You know why? Because nothing is happening. Okay, so some people died. That's really awful. Um, but where's the heat? There's no heat. They're trying to figure out who did it. Okay, it was... It, whoever did it, if the person who did it hasn't appeared yet, that's silly. If the person who did it has already appeared, and it's really just either Harley or Booster, let's get yeah. on with it. Who cares? I don't know. I just don't care. And that's the key difference between Identity Crisis and this. The only reason I'm comparing them is because they're similarly yeah. constructed. I cared a lot about who did it in Identity Crisis because it was so powerful. The funeral, right? Such a... And Wonder Woman, again, you're talking about a speech, right? 
very powerful. Um, what the heroes were willing to do to erase the mind of Dr. Light after what he did, really powerful. The way that Batman reacted to learning what they did, powerful. Those moments don't exist here, and we're already halfway through this thing. Yeah, two things, two things to connect to that. Like, uh, Ralph uh, Elongated Man says in the in the narration of like the first two or three pages of Identity Crisis, you when you open a book and it's with a main character, you're not worried. But when you open a book and it's with a, a C-list character, that's when you know something's going to go wrong. And at this point, I don't even point. remember who opened Heroes in Crisis. Do we remember? I want to say it was Booster and Harley. Wasn't it? I think that, yeah, I think that's correct. The fight between them, I think, is the opening of the book. The other thing is, <laughs> with identity, with identity crisis, that was that was in the the heart of like DC tie-in stuff. You know, that began the the infinite crisis. You know, that was like the trilogy, the beginning of the trilogy of crises. There were tie-ins in every goddamn book on the shelves. And this, like, the first one we're getting uh, for this is Batman five issues in to this whole series. Like, that's, this is a book that needs tie-ins desperately. Yeah, and, and I, I, I just, like, if there were them, though, I wouldn't want to read them. You know, like, because I'm just not invested in what's going on. Maybe they'd help. Maybe, maybe. Maybe that's true. A lot of people feel that the, the tie-ins of Civil War were better than Civil War. Yeah. That's accurate. Yeah. I actually think I agree with that. Um, there's, some, there's some really, really good Civil War tie-ins. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It, it's unfortunate because obviously we're all big, big fans of Tom's work. And it just, like, it just feels like he's really just missing the mark on what he wants to do here. And it's unfortunate because I was really, really interested in this premise. And... I think, you know, Sean, I remember you expressed a lot of concern. I think I think your concerns were well-founded. That it's just like, it doesn't feel like there's enough meat on this bone to justify its existence, really. And I, and I, I hate saying that about a creator who I like and about a piece I wanted to enjoy. But it's just, it's been a slog to get through it, frankly. And it's like... The best moments of it are just that. They're moments. You know, it's like, I think there are some great pages across uh, this entire series, but it's exclusively the interviews that are like standout moments for me. And like, maybe this would have worked in a more experimental format. You know, like maybe like instead of it being an overarching plot or there being sanctuary or whatever or, or, or whatever like some framing device to explore this maybe it would have been better if it was like an anthology where it was like each issue is about one character and their trauma and then them going to therapy or whatever like i think maybe that would have been better because the therapy sessions are good the speech about trauma is good but these they, the moments have no weight because i don't give a shit about what's happening on the other what 20 pages oh to be fair i the Mr. Terrific part where he's standing in a room of ninjas. What's Mr. Terrific doing fighting ninjas? I'll give him that one. I'm 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 kinda interested in that. Sure. It's just weird. It's just it's it's very all over the place and I like I have a really hard time thinking that the plots are gonna come together in a way that feels satisfying enough to justify how disjointed it's been. It won't make these last five issues good if the last three are. Or four. You know? The 
the thing that I really love, um, and I think I, I'm pretty sure it's an identity crisis. I hope I'm right. Um, is so, Doctor Light. You know, he does this horrible thing. Um, he rapes Sue Dibney, right? And it's kind of this thing where it's like, man, this has always been almost like cops and robbers in a, in a way. It's always been, you know, you guys do something messed up. We stop you. We put you in jail. It is what it is. It's relatively harmless. It, you know, people die. Things, you know, it, it, it gets crazy, but like, it's not personal. And then that moment, Dr. Light made it personal, right? He took it to another level. And that's where the heat was. That's where it got real, right? So now you follow that logic and you take it over to Heroes in Crisis, Sanctuary, something that is supposed to be a place where these heroes can go and heal. And then a villain finds out. And then a villain takes that from them. He takes their peace away, right? He takes their sanity away. He takes their place to heal away. That's dark. That's making it real. That's heat. That's power. Why did Tom King not do that? Yeah, it makes it really or similar. Capitalize on it. Sorry. Or capitalize on it because you're because he already did that. Like it was that is what happened. We don't know that. Well, we, we, he, that's fair. We don't know that it's like a villain who took that away or whatever. But either way, that has been compromised, and it feels like it is meaningless. Right. Also, just real quick, sorry to interrupt, but, like, the fact that they killed a lot of these characters who have relationships to other, like, A-tier characters and were not... Like, why is Flash such a minor character in this when one of the most relevant characters who was killed is someone he has and a close relationship? We haven't even gotten a tie-in with that. Am, right, Sean? Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, like, we haven't seen, like, Green Arrow, yeah. like, you know, like like, anybody who has a relationship to the deceased. It's all been about... Superman, Wonder Woman, and, Bat- and Batman, and like they're not really doing anything. <laughs> like no one, they're is. walking around having conversations. Yeah, connected about to it. both of those points, this this issue for me especially, it felt like like and because of Superman's speech and all the filler that they put in with the Atom and Swamp Thing and Zatanna and Starfire and Adam Strange of all people and yeah, Mister Terrific and ninjas and. Fucking Shining Knight. Who gives a shit about Shining Knight? And that was just so weird, too, because, like, I was literally sitting... I was sitting in uh, in the living room of my girlfriend's house with, with her and another one of our friends, and I'm like, this is a page in a DC comic about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and totally out of context. Here's a woman fighting a dragon. It's like... What the it's fuck? Like, this, like, this issue especially <laughs> has made this... The scope of this so thin and so like uh, drawn out this story should be like so compact like if this story took place in sanctuary i think it would be a thousand times better yeah like i feel like it's at a point where it's like a foot deep and a mile wide yeah you know like the scope is so all over the place but none of it has any relevance or again not to like overuse this term but like heat like there's no like I don't have, there's no stakes. I don't feel like there's an, I'm not emotionally invested in what's going on. Whereas like every issue of like Doomsday Clock, right? has been like, fuck, like this is so good. It's well-written. It's tight. And like, I, like I care about the characters and the players and what's going on. And the stakes feel very real and very like big. The reason is because the who, what, when, where, and why of it all has not been answered. And 
I said this at the it, it, I said this at the very start. You can't tell a story where the prime event already happened and you're not willing to answer any questions. You can't do it. It doesn't work. And there's nothing else to tide us over until we get those answers. And I'm right about tired of, of the waiting game. So we'll you know we'll obviously continue on with this book because we are masochists. Uh, um, I, before we end, I, I've got go two questions. Yeah. Um, so um, there is a, a page of uh, a rose washing into what I assume is Gotham Harbor. Um, and somebody with a red glove picks it up. Any ideas? The rose made me think Ivy, maybe? But, like, that was the only thought I had. I also figured it was Gotham, saw the rose, and was like, maybe this is Ivy. I have no idea who the red glove is. But There was a cover that came out uh, that was shown that featured a dead poison Ivy on it. Right. And that cover did get scrapped, but it leads me to believe that she'll be in Wasn't that, like, the reason or somewhere along the line it it was said either in the book or otherwise maybe that that was why or implied that that was why harley came to sanctuary was something happened to ivy i think so i don't recall oh oh no i already know why she went to sanctuary it happens in it happens in batman um or well i guess poison ivy gets brought to to sanctuary not harley okay, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, poison yeah. ivy is like real yeah okay so if you know it then i won't say it okay okay so uh, but uh, the red glove also like we also get that interview with commander steel and that shadow kind of looks like a buff guy with a mask I-, I would also say this is pretty distinctly a guy like it's a sh- the shadow is yeah. definitely a guy the one thing uh just one like artistic thing that bothered me too and i'm wondering if this like stood out to either of you guys remember there's that scene between blue beetle and booster where they're they're having the conversation over the beers yeah and like there's the part where there's the dialogue going to each of them and like you're just seeing their hands yeah they both have blue gloves guys like why like why is this how we did this like i could still follow it but it was just like some of the like uh, what's the artist's name again? Clayman. Clayman, thank you. That's like, a I, joke, I, and I, re- I regret it. Good. There are things about his art that I like, but there's a lot of things I don't either. Well, you got to remember, though, that the writer typically is the one who gives the panel descriptions to the artist, That's so that true. may not have been his choice. But it's like, I don't know. Like, just change the angling a little bit or something, you know? Like, it, I don't know. Like, it, it wasn't too hard to follow, but it's one of those things that, like, when, when I'm critiquing art, where it's like, it should always be clear who's talking. I don't know. I thought it was, because even though you're right, they both have blue gloves, you can clearly tell that Booster's on the left and Beetle's on the right. So when you yeah. see their hands, you know what angle they're coming from, yeah. so you know and it's, it's yeah, even, true. It even, like, all that lines up on the page. You know, because they have that full yeah. one at the bottom where they're both fully present. Yeah. And the intro shot shows them that way, too. No, Commander Steel has a fucking blue glove. God damn it. There's <laughs> all these blue gloves. Uh, okay, so my, my second question. Uh, this week, yeah. Tom King tweeted that uh, um, there was a clue to who he would be doing um, a sort of solo character piece a la Vision and Mr. Miracle with. I assume he did that because every single character in the fucking MCU is in this book, or the DCU is in this book. Uh, 
anybody want to speculate? I feel like it's probably Booster or Blue, but that's all I've got on that one. You know, um, could be the Dragon Lady. I, listen, I'd re- I'd read a Shining Knight book. Could be Booster, could be Blue Beetle. Uh, I don't know who this this woman is here that she gives her you know her interview. I Solstice. think she was in the New Fifty Two Teen Titans. Uh, whew, I do not remember. I think the funny thing is though, like this speaks to another problem I have with this book is that it like assumes you have a lot of knowledge that like if you guys don't know who that character is, how the fuck am I supposed to know who that character is? You know, I walked into this thinking like, oh yeah, they well, don't know especially who that is. especially when like their big marketing push not not even that long ago was that all stories are outside of canon and like it doesn't matter whether you know it or not. That, Wait, that what do you big mean? Uh, DCU push it was like you should be able to understand each book as its own book. DCU, yeah, yeah. Well, DCU was already a while ago. That's that's long in the dust. I'd ho- I, I guess I'd hoped but they I, I do stuck that. at least with that. Hell no. I mean, I, I, I never quibble much with those kind of things just because I'm used to big events, including characters that uh, I'm shocked by. But when it's something that you're supposed to care about emotionally, like it's deeper than yeah. cool moments... Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree. Yeah, especially because like it's supposed to be, you're supposed to emotionally connect to these characters, but I don't know who they are. You know, like <laughs> and you're not doing any a job to like introduce them to me at all. Because like you know, what a great example of that is like, and I hate to keep making this comparison, but like in Doomsday Clock, like I wasn't familiar with um, Firestorm. Oh, Saturn Girl too. Like you know, Johnny or, or Firestorm, yeah. and it's like I don't know who the. Yeah, like, I don't know what any of those characters are, but I care about them now because John's contextualized them for me. You know, and even if I never read them in another book again, I know what purpose they serve in the story I'm currently reading, and that's enough. You know, you don't need to give me their whole backstory, but, like, to introduce a character for one page, to be like, look at her pain, but I don't know who she is or why this is relevant or, like... What this, what that even means to her? Yeah, you know, like so what? Like, and it's fine when you're doing that with Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman and Batgirl and characters who have that cultural resonance. That even if you don't know them, if you if you care enough about comics to read Heroes in Crisis, you have some idea of who they are and what their what their personalities are and what stakes are for them as people all right let's let's wrap this up uh i think we've said our we've said enough about heroes in crisis at this point let me uh let me just answer my own question here real quick i think it's the protector i would love that because that was cool i liked i liked that page i don't know who he is but that page was enough to actually like mean something i don't fucking think he's anybody (laughs) i've never seen this guy before ever but i read that book if it's a book about an anti-drug hero who's a drug addict oh yeah that sounds great Let's get Tom King back on char- like solo character dramas. So let us know if you read this and enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it or whatever your thoughts were. Obviously, we have a lot to say about Heroes in Crisis. There are plenty of ways you can reach out to us. You can catch us on the socials at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, you can leave us a comment there. And while you're there, you can leave us a like. Share the video with your friends and subscribe to our channel for more awesome content. Um, let's, uh, do some plugs, Pete. 
Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about any of the stuff we discussed today uh, or Kingdom Hearts 3, which I am all in on right now. Uh, and if you want to hear me and Sean give our impressions on Kingdom Hearts 3, make sure you tune in for tomorrow's episode of our sister show, The Video Game Pals, uh, where I'm sure we're going to be diving into that for, for at least a bit. Uh, so... You know, please go ch- check that show out and support it if you're a gamer. If you want more content from me uh, or you're not satisfied hearing uh, just my thoughts on the video game, pals, you can go check out my work over at LootPots.com where I'm a, a you know multimedia editor and contributor. I do news and reviews and stuff. Uh, I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, uh, where we talked all about Metroid Prime 4 this week. Awesome. Kill. Sean, are you playing uh, Kingdom Hearts? I'll be talking about that on the video game, pals. Oh, so that's a hard no, huh? He promised me he would have takes. I'm going to be so upset. I will be talking all about it. His take is that he did not take it from the grocery store. (laughs) The grocery store? Yeah, you know where you buy games? Uh, So you can find me at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I do comics. You can find them in places. Find me on Twitter and Instagram and tell me why you didn't go buy them. Or did. And I'll say, man, you're dumb. Um, wow. You can find uh, Phil at Cyborg Bebop. That's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-O-B-O-P. Nope, I spelled that wrong. No. It was Bobop. Bobop. Marco's at Mr. Marco Animoto on Twitter and Instagram. <sighs> Tweet him some nasty hentai. Don't, don't do that. No, do oh. it. Don't know. Yeah, he'll be into it. Yeah, that's the problem. He likes that stuff. As for me, uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. You can hit me up to talk about anything you want to talk about. Let's chat. And with that, we are the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. I am a cyborg, Bobop. Bobop. Bobop.